So I define culture as behaviors and then embedding those behaviors into all the processes that we're familiar with. So hiring, um, onboarding, developing, uh, recognizing, feedback, promotion, all of those pieces there's an opportunity to reinforce your culture through those behaviors being embedded in those processes. And then practices are the kind of informal everyday things. So how we connect, how we communicate, how we use Slack, how we, um, how we run our meetings, how we make decisions, all of those are opportunities to strengthen your culture or to weaken your culture. That was Udemy Chief Learning Officer and the author of Reculturing, Melissa Daimler. In this episode, Melissa and I sit down to discuss her career path, how the field of learning and OD has evolved over the last several years, her new book, Reculturing, and how to apply systems thinking to intentionally design and shift culture. And we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. It's time to let go of the past perceptions of HR. Amplify is a new model of agency design from the ground up to support business and people leaders navigate the new world of work. We do that through two platforms. Our HR executive search practice is a new model of agency that moves away from traditional transactional search models with our flat fee pricing structure and advisory on the front and back end to help our clients attract and retain transformational people leaders. Our Amplify Academy is a unique platform to support continuous learning and build readiness, capability, and global networks for today's HR practitioners and leaders through the AI Learning Lab, peer learning cohort programs, community, and a range of resources to support their growth. You can learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Now, on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining HR Podcast. I am your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I'm excited to be joined by Melissa Daimler. Melissa is the Chief Learning Officer at Udemy, and she is the author of the book, Reculturing, which I strongly suggest you get your hands on as soon as you can if it's not already there. Um, Melissa, thanks so much for coming in. There's a lot for us to cover, and I would love to just have you open with an introduction for the audience. Thanks, Lars. It's great to be here. I know we've we've talked about this for a while, so I'm glad we're we're finally doing this. Um, yeah, so I have been the chief learning officer here already for a year. Um, time flies when you're having fun. Um, it's been a great company. I get to play a role that I haven't really played before. So I get to focus on internal development, um, but I also get to have my hands a little bit in the product itself and figure out what the next solutions and learning experiences could be for our customers. And then the third component is working directly with our customers as thought partners. So it's a, a really fun job and I get to play in a lot of different parts. And then before that, I uh, had my own consulting gig. You gave me a lot of good advice for, for that. Uh, did that for almost four years. And then was at WeWork for a stint and then prior to that, Twitter and Adobe. So have been around in this career for 20 plus years, have learned a lot. Uh, about culture and learning and everything in between. 
Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot there that uh, it will certainly explore in this episode, but I wanna kind of start off. I mean, you've worked in, in HR, you know, majority of your career, um, but more specifically, you've been focused on L&D kind of throughout that experience. When did you know that that was kind of the, you know, the domain within HR that, that lit you up, that got you the most excited? So I was coaching over 20 years ago before everybody else started coaching. Um, I was one of the first certified coaches. Um, I worked for a coach university, uh, was the first employee there. And I loved just helping not just individuals, but, but teams. I would work with leaders and we would realize there were so many opportunities to work also within their teams. Like any issues that we had with that person, um, we realized it was more of a, a systems issue that if we, we also worked with their team, we could, we could create more effective ways for them to work. So I really got into coaching early on and uh, started to work for a startup in the dot-com, dot-bus days as just a uh, director of people. And I was a full-time coach for the executive team. And it was there that I realized there was so many opportunities to not just coach, but also uh, learn and give opportunity to learn uh, with not just me and that individual, but also the entire executive team. I popped into the head of HR role when, uh, for a variety of reasons, the, the head of HR had to step down. So never did this before, but really took a coaching approach and learned a lot like on the job. And so um, that kind of led me into HR at Adobe. And I started the first coaching program there, was an HRBP. And I always say that that is such a good role to play because you're touching so many different uh, functions of HR and you're, at, you're on the front lines of the business. But my true love was always, you know, the, the learning and organizational development piece. So again, not just working with individuals, but working with teams and making sure as an organization, we were making an impact. So I always felt like all three of those needed to connect. So I, I think a big theme of my career has been systems thinking. You know, when, when you kind of pull in one area, um, when you shift the strategy, you should also be looking at how you're working and your culture. When you acquire a company, you're looking at all of those components. You're looking at not just the people coming in, but you're looking at your organizational structure. So I, I think learning and organizational development um, have been key areas of focus for me throughout my career. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously from the time you really started focusing on this at Adobe through Twitter and even now, the the space of of LNOD and how we think about it and the tools we use and the modalities that we use has, has evolved dramatically. And, and I want to take it back to kind of a hyper growth period in your career, which was at, at Twitter. Um, you know, obviously you were there for an explosive growth period. And, and I think especially as somebody who's focused on learning and organizational development, that's a really unique time on a couple levels. You know, for one, people's time, you know, their runtime in jobs is maybe six months because as the company scales, they're continuing to grow and be stretched in new areas. Um, that's one kind of dynamic. Another dynamic is you have lots of people moving into leadership roles for the first time. 
in that hypergrowth. And so kind of as somebody tasked with thinking about uh, leadership and OD in a hypergrowth environment across all of those levels and then all the traditional aspects of learning as well, like how did you approach that? Like how, how did you how did you kind of figure out um, you know, where again, leveraging system thinking, like where you would get the most lift from designing and developing programs to support a, a company on that trajectory? I, I think the manager is always the key role I focused on in every company I've worked. I think they are the linchpin role of the organization. So that is, I, I think if you take care of the manager, you're taking care of so many other parts of the organizational system. So that was one of the first things we focused on is, is management development. And one of the key lessons that I learned at Twitter coming from, I was at Adobe for almost 11 years, um, is this idea of getting, uh, shipping it. We called it ship it, uh, get things out there, get V1 out there. Um, I remember two weeks in, Dick Costello, our CEO, um, was flying by my desk and he's like, hey, when am I going to see the you know first mock-up of management development? And I was like, I've been here two weeks. <laughs> and I literally met with him and I think I had like half a piece of paper with scribbles on it. There was no PowerPoint, nothing. Um, but he loved some of the ideas and how we were connecting to some things that he was teaching around management development. Um, so it was such a powerful lesson in getting version one out, which we did pretty quickly, and then iterating with your managers. So, you know, typical design thinking, like understand where they're coming from, get something out, and then I co-created it with them as we went along. So here's some basic tenets of management. We called it Twitter Core 5, delegation, communication, how to have one-on-ones, how to coach. Um, but then we brought in all the practical experiences that they were going through, and we kept getting feedback on, you know, what are some things that you want to practice more? So I think the, the lesson was um, continuing to just iterate and evolve some of the things that, that we were working on. And we did that with, with leadership development. We did that with coaching. Um, everything that we, we did there, we, we iterated. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that that ship it mentality um, is something that I imagine has served you well, because I think when you look at, uh, especially when you can pass contrast kind of modern progressive HR with legacy HR, you know, the the analysis paralysis in legacy HR was was very real, right? We'd have an idea and we would write a proposal and a proof of concept. And it was just, you know, it was like six months later, it's not even launched yet. And I think that's just that that doesn't work in the world that we're in today. And so having that ship it approach certainly helps. And I want to, you know, you mentioned in your introduction, um, obviously your role now is kind of a meta role for you because you are the chief learning officer in a learning organization uh, where you're working with, you know, both, you know, developing the internal team, um, you know, developing the roadmap, I imagine, for the Udemy products and offerings, working with external clients and customers and constituents as well. So what was that transition like for you? You know, I know you were you were kind of in a in an internally focused corporate role, then in a, uh, you know, consulting you know role with your own practice. And now you're in this really kind of dynamic role that's probably a, a, a bit different, leverages all your past experience, but it's probably a bit different um, in terms of the focus and what you've done in the past. So you're, you're a year in now, like what was that 
transition for you? And how do you think about, you know, where you allocate your time uh, against some of those different categories? It has been a hard transition. I mean, I, I, I think I always said when I go back into, if I go back into a company, I need to uh, respect and and like and and uh, appreciate the the leadership team. And I can say this has been the most supportive leadership team i've I've ever worked with. Um, so I think that makes a huge difference. Uh, they're very supportive and uh, really it was wide open in terms of kind of how I wanted to structure the team and and where we wanted to go. But I have a strong team. We have a, a leader who manages internal development and it has put together some amazing foundational programs here already. So it was nice just to, to come into that. Um, but it has been a learning curve and I'm still learning. You know, our, our products are much more complex than I appreciated. So spending time with our engineers and uh, our instructors and just understanding kind of the process by which we, um, you know, put courses online and we're doing a lot more assessments now and and have spaces for people to more actively learn. So understanding what those products are as we're building them has been just a huge learning curve, but really exciting too. Um, I, I'm, I'm learning a lot. The customer piece, um, that could be a full-time job. So I, I think that's challenging to just figure out and prioritize, you know, who do who do we connect with? Some people on my team also work with customers directly. Um, you know, so is it the bigger accounts? Is it, is it accounts or, you know, customers that we want to, you know, kind of um, experiment with? So that's an ongoing conversation with the customer success team and the head of sales and our, and our president. Um, but it's funny because I, I was talking to Greg, our, our CEO, the other day, and I said, I, I constantly think at the end of the day, like, gosh, I should have been in that meeting or why wasn't I in that decision or, oh my gosh, I, I, I should have been ahead of that because every conversation is about learning. Um, and so he just laughed. He's like, welcome to my world. You know, you can't be in every conversation and, you have to radically prioritize differently than you ever have. And so I, I think it's that as well as, and you've talked a lot about this in the past, like just this whole hybrid thing and trying to figure out how to work. It's a different system that I've used ever. So I've had to kind of recreate my system and tools and ways of working um, in this role, but also because we're a hybrid company and I'm not interacting with my team like I, you know, learned most of my career. So I, I think being flexible in how you're working and looking at your own system, and I think you do this really well, um, and making sure you experiment with different tools for yourself and your team is is really, really critical. But I'm looking all the time at where should I be spending my time? Should I be focused more this quarter on customers? Should, you know, are we, are we needing to kind of upgrade our management development? So it's always kind of looking across, but again, I, I have a really good team as well who, who helps me with all of that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You, you kind of talk about, um, you know, the shift to hybrid and some of the changes and how you have to 
adapt to that as as a leader, as as an employee, as you know, an advisor to your C-suite peers. Um, and I want to go back to something you said kind of earlier in the conversation around managers really being the linchpin to everything. And I think that that is like when you think about um, all of the change that we've experienced over the last you know two plus years. And the list is long, right? It, it's moving obviously towards hybrid and distributed work. It's having different types of conversations and approaches around mental health. It's it's thinking differently about flexibility and where and when and and how we work. It's navigating crisis after crisis. Um, you know, uh, thinking differently about how we support uh, and where and how we use our voice as it relates to social justice as an organization and as managers and leaders. There's so much, and, and a lot of this is just, it may be radically different than what our managers have experienced. And, and I'm curious to get your perspective. Like, what, what advice do you have for HR leaders? Because you can have the, you know, the most well-thought-out plans and systems to support all of these things, but if you're not able to uh, articulate that and get your managers to understand it, adopt it, embrace it, and ultimately implement it, it, it's not going to go anywhere. And so how, what advice do you have for HR leaders who are maybe struggling to try and bring some of that, you know, kind of new system thinking around the new world of work um, to their managers so that they're better positioned to support their employees as they're navigating all of this? I think a big piece is just making sure they understand the strategy. Um, you know, Donna Morris, I, I wrote in my book, was a, a mentor to me at Adobe, and, and she drilled into me early on that you are a business leader first, no matter what role you're playing. Always understand what the business is doing, what the strategy is, how the strategy has changed. So I think it's really important for both the manager and the organization to be clear on what is our strategy where are we going? What are kind of those five key objectives that we're uh, building out? And how do you and your team connect to those? Um, we just changed our and evolved our strategy here um, and made a, a big shift. And um, we communicated it out. We brought managers in. We had manager forums where they could ask a lot of questions. So I think them really owning where we're going as a business and then what their role is, is, is really key. Um, I, I also think, you know, we experienced a lot and learned a lot over the last two and a half years. Um, I think some of the more junior managers during the pandemic weren't used to managing through outcomes. You know, they were managing by proximity. They, you know, they wanted to connect in on, you know, whatever tools, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, because they wanted to see you. They wanted to make sure that you were doing work versus are we really clear on what it is you're supposed to be doing and what the outcomes are? I don't need to see you, uh, you know, if, if we're both clear, if you're good, um, if you're not blocked by anything, I trust you. So I, I, this is something that, you know, we've been teaching for years and years, but I, I think it got amplified during, during the pandemic. So um, I think clarity and intentionality are um, key things to, to, for managers to, to focus on. Are you clear about what you're supposed to be doing, how you're supposed to be doing it? And then are you intentionally using all of your tools and ways of working consistently with your team? As an HR practitioner navigating the new world of work, your ability to learn, connect with resources, and build your global peer community is essential to your success. 
That's why I launched the Amplify Academy. The Amplify Academy was built from the ground up to help HR practitioners and people leaders efficiently and effectively connect with the diverse learning needs and resources for today and tomorrow. There are three components to the Academy. The Learning Lab is an AI learning platform that includes a range of courses, resources, templates, content, and more to support the learning needs around modern HR practices for today and tomorrow. The Amplify Academy Slack community is designed to help you build your global network equity and peer set with practitioners around the world who share your vision for progressive HR practices. And the Amplify Academy cohorts are four-week immersive peer learning programs designed to help people leaders build the skills and network they need to succeed as an HR leader in today's environment. Cohort students also learn from world-class people leaders from Katie Burke, Pat Waters, Claude Silver, Brian Power, AJ Thomas, and so many more. Want to supercharge your people team? Be sure to check out the Academy for Teams product, which is designed to give you and your people teams access to over 400 resources, the full community, and more across the Amplify Academy. Learn more at amplifytalent.com slash academy. Now, back to the show. I mean, that, that's a great point. And I think that, you know, certainly in the early days of the pandemic, when people were shifting to remote, um, the whole butts and seats, you know, argument around productivity and how do I know if you're productive if I can't see you, which is always a bullshit argument, but lots of people made it. And I think that when you look at how that conversation has evolved, I mean, I think HR historically has not done a great job and not just HR, but business of, of measuring individual productivity and outcomes. It's more of like the tasks that you're doing and not necessarily the results of those tasks. And more companies are embracing things like OKRs to you know help make that more tangible and real. But I think that is a big unlock for HR is the more we can begin, the more we can build capability in helping organizations measure productivity uh, and output of employees and teams, um, the, the better we're going to be able to support the desires people have to work in more flexible ways um, than you know than they had in the past, and so I think that that is a that's a journey that we're on. Uh, hopefully, we'll continue to improve in that. But I would love to get your thoughts. You know, uh, you earlier this year published uh, your first book, Reculturing, and so uh, it's a fantastic book, and I definitely want to have you let the uh, audience know where they can find it. But let's start. I remember you and I have been talking about you know the the book and some of your ideas for years, like, when did you know you had this book in you, right? There's always that kind of origin story of like, you just, at one point you're like, this is something that I have to do. Like, what, what was that experience like for you? I, I think uh, the WeWork experience, I can now say was a learning experience. Uh, I'm, uh, I, th- I don't know if I can go as far as I'm glad I, I went through it, but I was glad to see the contrast of what a company looks like when it doesn't value culture. Um, so I, it was after that experience, I think um, after I processed it and had a moment, uh, three to four months later, I, I wrote an article for HBR around culture because I just uh, – was reflecting and thinking that in at the time it was 2017 why are we still challenged by some of these basic issues and how do we make sure that 
employees and people don't ever have to live and experience that kind of environment again. And I particularly thought about, you know, I have 14 nieces and nephews and, you know, they're in various places in their career, but, you know, how do I make sure that they don't ever have to experience what I just experienced? So there definitely was a fire that got lit inside of me after that experience. And I, and I, it was with that coupled with, I was so frustrated by so many things that I had read about culture that it was nebulous. It was relegated to HR. It wasn't really a lever. You know, you can't really leverage it for building your business. And I experienced the opposite, you know, especially at Twitter and Adobe, um, that it is a huge leverage point to to use. And if if I could help write a playbook and define culture in a, a succinct way that that people could relate to and use themselves, that was what motivated me to finally finally write it. And and how did you land the title reculturing? The the idea of culture as a verb versus a noun is also something I've been playing around with for years. I, I you know, I experienced evolving cultures at Twitter and Adobe. And I I do believe that culture is continuous and that we should always be looking at culture. And so at first, um, David White is a poet I, I really like, and he had this poem just about the idea of, you know, you kind of have to undo things. Um, and uh, But he goes further and talks about, but you also have to look from a place of sometimes redoing it as well. Um, so we were kind of playing with unculturing and, and reculturing. And then I read something about, um, I got inspired by unschooling, this idea of, you know, a number of uh, parents did not appreciate the school system and just wanted to kind of undo everything that, <laughs> that uh, education was about. But I realized it wasn't, there was a lot of good things about culture um, over the last 70 years. And I, I, I didn't want to throw everything out necessarily, but just how do you kind of reframe it so that we can leverage some of those good points and different ways of building culture, um, but define it so that it was something that could be much more operationalized. So we landed on reculture versus unculture, and I just think it it better represents um, what companies should be continuing to do as well. Yeah, I mean, and that's it's such a good point you raise about you know culture being dynamic and not static. And I think you know that's that's kind of an old uh, you know way of thinking where a lot of organizations, hey, we're growing, but we need to preserve our culture. And like, there, culture isn't something to preserve. Like, it's 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 an evolving thing that you can steer and shape, but you know you can't own. And HR most definitely cannot own. So if uh, you're you're looking at an organization, uh, you're considering making a move, and the CEO is telling you you're going to own culture. That's a flag uh, because that is not one thing that HR can own. But you you you, you talked earlier about um, applying systems thinking kind of throughout your career, and you do in this book as well uh, around taking a, a systems approaching uh, systems thinking approach to building an evolving uh, culture. And I would love for you to expand on that, you know, a little bit for for the audience who, you know, may be entering a role or an organization where, you know, they are going to have to do some 
active work in maybe reshaping, uh, you know, re-steering the culture. How can they think about applying systems thinking to that work? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the first piece is what we talked about, which is just making sure that uh, whatever you're doing connects to the business and the business outcomes, that, it, that HR and learning are not these kind of one-off separate functions or programs. Um, but I, I, I define in the book kind of the organizational system and the cultural system, the organizational system being um, purpose, which is your why, um, and, you know, we've talked a lot about, especially last few years, the importance of understanding why we exist and how we as individuals and leaders in the organization um, help with that purpose. And then there's the strategy, the what, and then the culture is the how. So I think looking at that system consistently is is really important. Um, you know, I just... And I, I wrote this in the book that, again, I would work with leaders and, you know, we would think it was a training issue, but then if we dug a little further, there were many more, there, it wasn't a training issue. There were other team dynamics. It was, it could have been something with the leader himself or herself. Um, I, I think systems thinking really is about digging in beyond the presenting issue. Um, and I, I just think you know, work is complex. We're human beings. There's there's a lot going on there. So um, asking really good questions and, um, you know, not just assuming it's a training issue or a communication issue is, is um, some of the advice I've given. And then culturally, I do think a lot of HR folks who have taken it you know, have, have at least not talked about culture as the organization's personality or ping pong tables or free food. They talk about it as values, which is better than all of that. But still, I think you need to go further. Um, and, I, and I think the idea of codifying culture into more behaviors is really important. Um, so I define culture as behaviors and then embedding those behaviors into all the processes that we're familiar with. So hiring, um, onboarding, developing, uh, recognizing, feedback, promotion, all of those pieces, there's an opportunity to reinforce your culture through those behaviors being embedded in those processes. And then practices are the kind of informal everyday things. So how we connect, how we communicate, how we use Slack, how we, um, how we run our meetings, how we make decisions, all of those are opportunities to strengthen your culture or to weaken your culture. So those are some of the ways I've, I've been thinking about um, how an organization works from a systems perspective and then specifically around culture. Well, it's been awesome hearing about the book. It's been hugely successful. So I'm, I'm excited for you for that. If the audience uh, wants to get their hands on a copy, what's the best place for them to do that? Uh, you can go to my website, melissadaimler.com and uh, all the usual places. So Amazon, Walmart, uh, on my website, it has a list of uh, how to access local bookstores too, which I know both of us are, are really keen on doing. Um, but those are the, the primary places. All right. Well, Melissa, I have one, one more question for you before we move on the lightning round. And, and admittedly, this is a bit of a selfish question, so I have to call myself out for that. But, uh, you know, as, as you may know, um, about a year ago, I began building this new Amplify Academy uh, platform aimed at building 
um, both kind of progressive HR capabilities and leadership development capabilities uh, for people leaders who are navigating this new world of work. And um, what advice would you have for me as somebody who is looking to build a kind of scaling and sustainable adult learning platform uh, really aimed at helping kind of connect, build and support the next generation of people leaders? I think you're doing a lot right. Uh, I, I think this idea of cohort learning has always been the kind of learning that I have loved throughout my career. And I think more and more companies are starting to want that more. I don't know if it's because the pandemic, there, there's a need for connection and community. Um, but I love that. And I always say that's a, a twofer or threefer because you're sharing information out. Um, they're able to kind of share with each other and, and coach each other and then get coached. So I think that cohort model is great. I think you extend it over a number of weeks, which is also good because you can bring in, hey, what happened? You know, like you just practiced something, you know, what, what worked well, what didn't work well. I love that you have um, resources and learning available to, to them, you know, to access any time. So I think you're doing a lot right. Um, I don't know how big your cohorts are. How big are they? Um, they're capped at 30, but most are closer to 20. I think 30, 35 is a sweet spot. Um, you could look at, you know, making them a, a bit bigger. I mean, some people say 50 is a, a good number as well. Um, but I think the biggest thing, and I, I think you do this too, is, is con going back to kind of what we talked about with Twitter, like continuing to get feedback from your participants and because you're um, facilitating an environment of learning around a topic that is changing so much, I think making sure that um, you're continuing to have some of those basic skills that everybody gets, but also continuing to evolve some of the latest, um, you know, bring in the latest trends and some of the skills that maybe weren't even around uh, two years ago. So I think continuing to iterate, and again, you you know all this, but um, looking at your content and curriculum and approach, at least you know every six months holistically, I think is a is a good thing. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. I feel like I may have to uh, send you a check for that uh, strategic <laughs> to strategic advice. You're doing uh, all thank the right you. Things, so. <laughs> Um, we wrap up every episode with a lightning round to uh, help the audience get to know you a little bit better. And we always start with music. So I'm checking out your Spotify playlist or wherever you stream music. Uh, who will I learn are your top three artists? I know this is embarrassing. Um, I, for my mental health and sanity, uh, I, I go to the gym a lot. So it's always about what can, what can pump me up. So, uh, I'm Pitbull would be on there Okay, because I feel good. Um, I also, I am fascinated by Billie Eilish. I love her. I, I've seen some interviews with her lately and I just, I, I think her voice is incredible. Um, Dua Lipa is also just really motivating. Um, I jam out to her most mornings. So those would be my main artists. Okay. Yeah. Those aren't embarrassing. It's a, it's a solid lineup. Um, <laughs> we're shifting to TV. Uh, what was your latest binge? Oh my God. Uh, Murders in the Building. Have you seen that? No, I haven't heard of that. Oh my God. It's on Hulu. Steve Martin, uh, Selena Gomez, Martin Short. It is so good. 
Yeah, I would never okay. have thought it, but I got recommended a few times. But it's it's a fun show to binge. Yeah. All right. I'm going to check that out. Um, we're changing careers. Uh, you're an author. You can't be an author anymore. You are a learning and HR executive. I'm taking all of that off the table. Uh, what would you be doing? I have guest lectured at a few universities, Berkeley and Stanford, and um, I've loved it. Uh, and I, I have appreciated the opportunity to kind of bring in that practitioner uh, perspective. So I've thought about um, doing more work there, um, just teaching in a university setting and, you know, being able to help students and those earlier in their career to navigate um, kind of this new world of work. Yeah. And um, well, that sounds like fun. I think that's a future that you've already dabbled in. So certainly is available to you. Um, last question for you, Melissa, who is one HR leader you admire and why? I would say, uh, and yeah, it goes back to the Twitter days, Janet Van Heis. Um, I've continued to, uh, we stay in touch. We do spa days once a quarter. <laughs> um, but she's been a huge mentor for me, especially in this new role. And just, again, helping me kind of navigate my own systems just based on her experience. So that's who I would say. Yeah, she's tremendous. We were talking before we started recording just about the the team that uh, you know Jana had assembled over Twitter back in the day, and it's just a, an incredible lineup of talent. That uh, it's cool to hear that you all are still uh, very much connected. So, um, Melissa, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your career story and your work. And uh, congrats again on all the success with your book. Thanks, Lars. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.